Welcome to the First Prez Podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. Our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Prez at firstprezcos.org. Good morning, church, and wherever you are, we are the church. It's a joy to be together. I mean, I wish we could be together right here, but it's a joy to be together in the way the Spirit is uniting us. And I, I want you to know a couple of things. We've already talked about a number of things, but we're trying to keep you informed about all the decisions we're making. And we have made the decision to worship online through April 19th. And so um, we're going to be worshiping in this way. And we worship in both venues at 8.30 in the sanctuary, 9.30 here in the worship center, and then both of those services are on demand just after they close. And so what I'm saying to you is uh, invest in that house church you've got. Uh, Make that set up what you want it to be. Uh, We're going to worship together in this way, and we're reaching more people for the gospel than we had imagined. Uh, So God's doing something really big in this. The church is always ready to change, always ready to shift, always ready to innovate, and when the kingdom of God gets pushed down, it just spreads out. And so what we're praying is that God's going to do something really huge through all of this, but we're going to be worshiping in this way for, for some time. So make yourself comfortable. Make sure that you have got the connection that you want. Um, keep using that hashtag bring church home one piece so that we can see each other part of that is just the gift of seeing other people that we miss seeing in here and we see that they're worshiping too so uh, participate in those ways if you would be the church where you are when you can't go to church be the church and uh, today we're continuing in our series and I'm going to open up Matthew 9 so I encourage you to open your Bibles and as you do that where you are let's pray together Lord open your word to us we pray and open us to your word that wherever we are, we can hear from you and know that you are speaking directly to us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the people said, Amen. Matthew 9, 1 to 13. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, And go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Enacting the kingdom. 
Jesus, the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, it wasn't only words, it was actions. He didn't just teach the kingdom of God, he enacted the kingdom of God. His ministry was filled with events. Last week we talked about how he taught about the kingdom of God, and this week we want to look at what he did. See, we're looking at the life of Jesus through the historian's eye. Kind of if you were a reporter and you watched it play out, what would you write down in your notebook? How did it unfold? We live in a skeptical age, you know. We have a hard time believing things. I think we're experiencing that right right now with all this that's going on. We're wondering, what information do I need? Where can I get my information? And, and, And do I feel a little bit skeptical about the information I'm getting? I mean, what do I really know about this uh coronavirus what do I know what are we supposed to do am I supposed to wear a mask not wear a mask am I supposed to wash my hands clean out my ears gargle with bleach lick the rails at the mall I don't know I don't know there's a lot of conflicting information out there right but I hope that you're getting your information from a reliable expert source not me But people are skeptical about things, and they're skeptical about Jesus. Am I really getting the story of Jesus of Nazareth? Here's what I want you to know. If we took away all the Christian writings about Jesus, if we took away the New Testament and everything that Christians wrote about Jesus, if we took that out, we would still know a lot about Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, we would know more about Jesus of Nazareth than we know about any founder of an ancient world religion. Just from the writings of people like Josephus and Tacitus and Pliny and all these uh, non-Christian historians and leaders who wrote stuff down about Jesus. It's incredible. What would we know? Without all the Christian writings, we would still know that Jesus existed, that he taught, that that many believed he performed miracles, that he worked wonders. We would know that some thought he was the Messiah, We would know that he was rejected by Jewish leaders and crucified by Roman leaders, Pontius Pilate in particular. We would know all of that without any of the Christian writings at all. We would know that just from the historians that are outside of the faith. We would know that after his death there were so many people who believed he was still alive that they spread out all across the Roman Empire. In fact, by A.D. 64, there was a community in Rome who believed in Jesus. And in Rome and right across the Roman Empire, these followers of Jesus, they were gathering up, one Roman leader said, they seemed to gather up and worship this Jesus who was crucified as if he were a god. We would know all that without asking a single Christian. But still we live in a skeptical age. Even an outsider can see something special in the life of Jesus. Enacting the kingdom of God. Um, Abigail and I, some years ago, we were invited to eat dinner with um, some friends who were from South Korea. We We were living in Oxford at the time and apartments were small it was so expensive to live there so they invited us to come over and eat and we ate we ate in their kitchen at a real small table so it felt like we were really invited into their life you know and um and for them it was difficult to speak korea uh, english to each other so they spoke korean to each other and so you imagine abigail and i sitting at the, in this kitchen and and uh, the smells are, are all uh, korean and the music is korean and people are talking korean and and we sat down to eat dinner and we ate korean food i mean authentic korean food we had uh, kimchi have you ever had kimchi i mean the real stuff this is uh, p- cabbage pickled in hot peppers <laughs> 
You might not think when it comes, you know, when it's sitting on your plate that it's going to be spicy. Let me tell you. Now, I, I have never felt more transferred, you know, translated to a different place without actually being there. Like, I felt, we felt like we were in Seoul, South Korea, you know? That's how it is when Jesus enacts the kingdom of God. You, you kind of see it. You, you taste it. You, you feel it. It's, it's really there. He's not just talking about it, but it's really there, and you believe it. See, I could, uh, I could accept the existence of South Korea <laughs> without eating kimchi, but sitting there with my mouth on fire, fighting back tears, I knew that it was real, you know? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Can it be seen or is it just something that can be taught only? Is it, is it an idea or is it a reality? Is it just something that you talk about, that you say, or is it something that, that you can feel? If it's just a thought, that's one thing, you know? That if it's just an idea, well, that's fine. Give me the idea. But if it's real, if it's, if it's real... Show me. Show me the kingdom. Jesus enacted the kingdom of God. By his actions, he made the invisible visible. You see? Jesus has a way of making his kingdom show up. Wherever you are. See, even right now, we're kind of in our isolated places. Jesus has a way of making his kingdom show up. It's a way of making it real, and we can feel it. Today's events happened in Capernaum, a city that has been remarkably maintained as ruins since the time of Jesus. So was Jesus a real figure in history? Friends, I'm in Capernaum and I'm at the gate of the synagogue where Jesus began his ministry. It happened right here. First in Nazareth, but also right here in Capernaum. An unknown man named Jesus of Nazareth walked into the synagogue and he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And he opened it in the body of of worshipers And he read of the promises of the Messiah. And he sat down. And with all eyes on him, he said, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. But then it was here in Capernaum, on this very spot. He not only spoke of the kingdom, but he enacted the kingdom. He healed a a paralytic. And he said, Your sins are forgiven. And the question had to be asked, Which is more difficult? Which is more costly? To heal someone of their physical impairments or to say your sins are forgiven? Jesus knew the cost of both.
Jesus first took that scroll and read it in Nazareth, but he, he did the same sorts of things in Capernaum, and, and our story right now is in this town of Capernaum. You see, Jesus, he, he crossed back over from a foreign land where, in fact, where this is where he had a run-in with a herd of pigs, as some of you know about, and he came back to Capernaum, and that was kind of like coming back to home base, like to home soil, getting back to normal. But things were not going to be normal. Two healings happened, two remarkable uh, occurrences, two events. One of them was a physical healing. A man was carried by others on a mat, carried by his community to Jesus. And, and as carried by his community to Jesus, the man is healed and he stands up and he's released from paralysis. He takes up his mat and he goes home. One is physical, one is relational. A man is seated behind a tax collector's booth. And Jesus comes up to him and he says, follow me. And the man gets up and follows him. And, and what happens is this is a relational healing. He, he walks out of, of social isolation in his role as a tax collector and he enters into community and friendship and fellowship and actual having a party at the end of it. Do you see that? Two healings, two remarkable movements. And both have something to say about community. I want to... I want to just focus on that for just a second. Community. Healing happens in community. See, those men, they carried, they carried the, their friend to Jesus. That's community. The, Matthew, he's released from isolation. He comes into community. Healing happens in community. And right now, this moment that we're in, we need to know that. Healing happens in community. And you might feel deprived from community. You wish that you could be around each other. I'm telling you, I wish I could run down the aisles and, 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 and hug each of you and give you a big, fat, wet, sloppy kiss. I mean, watch out when you get back in here because that's what's coming your way. Because we wish we could, we could be together. And we feel deprived of that. But friends, we are not deprived of community we are one community, we are one people, we are one church, and you need to exercise every vehicle you can to stay in touch, not to be isolated, but to be in touch with one another. Why? Because healing comes in community, and we're gonna get through this thing, and when that comes, we're gonna know that it has come because we stood together. You understand? God brings healing in, in community. But more importantly, both of these healings bear witness that that other way of life, that other kingdom, that antagonistic kingdom that Jesus was talking about last week, it's here and it's on the ground and things are changing. Verse one, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. You see how much is in there? That's this, this community in there. So you can imagine that event happening right there where I was standing at the beginning of the video. And as the events unfolded, there were some grumbling people on the sidelines. And Jesus turned and looked directly at them. And verse 4 said, knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Why do you run counter to what I'm doing? Why do, you, why do you run against the grain of the kingdom that I'm establishing? Jesus said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat, and go home. Remarkably, 
He did. A little later, Jesus was walking out of the town, and, and on the road there was a, a, a tax collector at his booth. His name was Matthew. He's also called Levi. And Jesus walked up to him and said to him just two words, follow me. Remarkably, he did. Now, the story you're getting is from the man himself. This is Matthew, the gospel writer of the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, you see, his, his training and education as a tax collector and possibly a Levite, that made him a good candidate to be a very careful author and someone who would write down the details of the life of Jesus. At least that's how Jesus saw it. Jesus sees things that, that other people don't see. I mean, if you were making this up, if you were trying to create a movement to convince people to follow you in some movement, the last person that you would pick is a tax collector to to represent what this movement means. But Jesus sees things that other people can't see. Well, that's what happened. If you were a reporter on on the scene, that's what you would write down. That's what you would put in your story, your article. That's what happened. But show me the kingdom. Show me the kingdom. Imagine what it felt like, if you want to get into this story deeper, imagine what it felt like to be that man. Put yourself in in that man's shoes, the paralyzed man, being carried by his friends, being conveyed by others. Imagine what it felt like to be the weak one, to be the one in need, to be the one relying on others, and to be carried in front of the crowd to Jesus. Jesus told him to stand up, carry his mat. Imagine what it felt like to stand up on your own strength and to pick up your mat with the strength that's within you. Contribute, do your part. Jesus told him to do it. Remarkably, he did. What's the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where paralysis and sickness and weakness does not capture us and hold us down. The kingdom of God is a place where we experience wholeness and strength and the illness that threatens to shorten your life and the the weakness that debilitates you and keeps you from things that you want to enjoy, the virus that enters every single place, it does not enter the kingdom of God. The coronavirus cannot penetrate The kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? It's a place where there's healing and wholeness. But you know, Jesus wasn't the only person in history to ever heal somebody. So what's the big deal? Show me the kingdom. Well, what about Matthew? Jesus confronted a tax collector. Put yourself in his shoes now. Imagine yourself there. Imagine that you're Matthew, sitting in your tax collector's booth. Imagine what it felt like to be bound by that system. I mean, sure, that's how you're making money. Sure, you're profiting from it. But every day it takes a little piece of your soul. Imagine the looks that you'd be accustomed to getting, how people looked at you, how they regarded, I mean, your friends from school, your own family members, how they looked at you, how they treated you. Imagine 
being bound in that position, being bound in that place. And there's no, there's no hope of change. There's no other way to go. There's no way to get out of this. No hope for a different life. How did it feel when Jesus walked up to Matthew? How did it feel to have Jesus walk towards you? Jesus said, get up. Follow me. Remarkably. He did. Now Luke would tell you, Luke would tell you that Matthew, he, uh, he was bold. And Matthew got up and encouraged. He left everything. He left it all behind. Matthew's not going to tell you that. He's not going to brag because it's not about what he's doing that day. It's about what Jesus was doing that day. How Jesus stepped forward and he said, there's a new life for you. There's a new way for you. There's a kingdom that you can enter. Where the, the handcuffs, even the golden handcuffs, right, fall off. And you can live into the life that you've always wanted. You can be the person that you've always wanted to be because it's found in Jesus, in following me. But Jesus wasn't the only person to to ever change somebody's career, open up their future possibilities. Show me the kingdom. Friends, the most critical thing about the kingdom of God is not the healing, it's not the the change of someone's life it's not the justice it's not the freedom the most critical thing about the kingdom of god is the forgiveness the forgiveness what did it feel like to be the man carried in on the mat yeah yeah but what did it feel like to have jesus turn to you and say son your sins are forgiven What did it feel like to be Matthew behind the tax collector's booth and have Jesus walk up? Yeah. But what did it feel like for Jesus to come with you and meet all of your friends and gather with you at the party? And and when people are looking at him and they're, they're, they're charging him with going, like you shouldn't go in there. They're social shaming Jesus, right, for going to this party. Like somebody take a picture and put it on Twitter. He's going in there. And Jesus says, as he's being social shamed by those around him, Matthew 9, verse 12, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but who? Sinners. How does it feel to have Jesus change your life? How does it feel to have Jesus say, he has come to forgive your sins? Others may heal. Others may redirect lives. But Jesus says he came to forgive sins. Now of all the miracles of Jesus, of all the claims of his, of his work, of all the miraculous things that he did, the most radical claim he made to divinity is right here. It's right here. Jesus said that he forgives sins. Does Jesus claim to be God? We're looking at this historical figure, Jesus. I mean, did he actually claim to be God or did other people color him divine after his death? Jesus stepped forward and said, your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can say that. Only God can 
do that. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God forgives sins against God. It's, it's only God who can forgive the sins that are, that, are, that are against him. And that's not just theology, that's common sense. Only the person who's been wronged can forgive the wrong. Okay, let's do an exercise. You're, you're worshiping maybe with some other people in your room there. Uh, okay, if there's wives out there, if you're with your husband, just take a minute and turn and insult your husband for me. Go ahead. Or if you're sitting there with friends, just turn and, and insult your friend. Uh, go ahead, do it. I'll, I'll give you a minute. Okay, that didn't take long. That was easy, wasn't it? Now, what if I turn to you from here and I say, I forgive you? Does that help anything? No, it doesn't help anything. Because it's between you and, and your husband. It's between you and, and your friend. And, and he's the one who's got to forgive you. And let me tell you, good luck with that. Because that thing that you just did was very, very rude. And friends, here's, here's the point. When Jesus steps forward and says, I forgive you of your sins, he's taking the place of God. He's saying, I'm, I am in the place of the one true God and I forgive your sins against me. For I, even I, blot out your transgressions. That's what enraged the religious. That's what got him killed. And now we see why he healed the, the, the paralytic man. Now we see why he went to the party with Matthew and his friends. Jesus was enacting the kingdom. He wanted you to see something. Which one is easier? Which one is easier? To tell a paralyzed man to get up or to tell him his sins are forgiven? Well, the physical mind would think, well, it's very hard to heal someone of paralysis. That must, be, that must be the harder thing. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. But the spiritually minded know that only God can forgive sins. Which is harder? The healing will take connection with the power of the kingdom of God. The forgiveness will take a cross. Jesus knew the cost to say your sins are forgiven. It costs him his life as he takes his sins, our sins upon himself, goes to the cross, dies for them to make forgiveness possible. Which is harder? Which is more costly? But Jesus wanted you to know. See, he says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And so he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your man. Here's what I want you to see. It's not just words, it's actions. When Jesus says, I want you to know, that's actually a sentence fragment when he's speaking. It goes, like, it goes something like, uh, so that, but so that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. 
dot, 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 sentence not finished. It's a sentence fragment that hangs in the air. And then the next thing Jesus does is he does it. He tells the man, get up and take up your mat. So Jesus, he speaks about it, but then he does it. And his actions actually finish the sentence. The sentence isn't done until he does the thing. And, and the words actually become action. And the, the idea actually comes to flesh. And the word made flesh makes the word come alive, you see. So he completes his sentence with actions. The teaching literally moves to enactment. He doesn't just teach the kingdom. He enacts the kingdom so that you may know. And the people did know. They were amazed. Verse 8, when the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. To man, they said. Not quite. They didn't quite get it. They were still thinking of Jesus just as a man. But here's what they're saying. They're saying, I'm amazed that the kingdom of God actually touches down. I'm amazed that the kingdom of God actually changes things in my life. It actually reaches me where I am. You know. They praised him. And Matthew and his crowd too. They had a party. And who's the party for? It's for sinners who want to be forgiven. It's for sick who want to know healing so that you may know, so that you may know that healing is possible, so that you may know that your life can change, so that you may know that forgiveness is open to you in Jesus. Show me the kingdom of God. Friends, our world, um, our city, our families, each of us, in our own ways, are absolutely terrorized by this tiny little bug called COVID-19. Terrorized. But there is a kingdom of God that is stronger, more powerful than that. And we not only talk about it, we see it. We feel it. Jesus enacts it. He makes it real. And so I want to ask you, how, how can we enact the kingdom of God as a people of God? How can we put feet to our faith, as I heard the vice president say in a press conference this week? Where can you and I not only speak about peace, but enact peace? Where can we not only talk about the kingdom values, but enact the kingdom values? People are in need all around us. They're in pain all around us. Where can the people of God who are resolutely formed and and founded in the kingdom of God and and the firmness of the rock of our salvation, where can we step forward and not only speak peace, but an act piece. Hey, as a church, we're moving toward, we want to move toward the pain. We want to move toward, not irresponsibly, but, but thoughtfully. We're putting together uh, two different emails, actually. One that you saw says, I need help at firstpresscause.org. There's another one that says, I can help. I can help at firstpresscause.org. And we're going to match these things together. So watch your emails, watch your websites about this because we're going to match these things together so that we can not only talk about the kingdom of God but enact the kingdom of God for those around us. Where can we finish our sentences with action that reflects the kingdom? But friends, here's the first thing. You can't represent the kingdom of God 
unless you're in the kingdom of God. And to enter the kingdom of God is to give your life over to Christ, who is its king. Jesus, he knew what it cost to say your sins are forgiven. He knew what it cost. It would cost him his life. He opened his arms. He opened his arms on the cross. He said, that shame is mine. Would you look at this now? He said to the paralyzed man, I'll be the paralyzed one. You stand up and walk free. He said to the shameful tax collector, that shame is mine. I'll be in shame. You be in community. You be set free. Jesus knew what it cost to stretch out his arms on the cross and to die for us. My question for you is, have you stretched out your arms to Jesus? He opens his heart to you and he pours out all that he is, all that he has to pay for your sins, to offer you forgiveness. And he enacts the kingdom of God. He, 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 he makes it real, makes it visible, makes it so that you can see it, so that you can know it, you can touch it and, and feel it. He's opened his arms to you. He's opened his heart to you. Will you open your arms to him? Will you open your heart to him? You see, because if you want to enact the kingdom of God, you've got to be part of the kingdom of God, and you can't be part of the kingdom of God until you say to Jesus, Lord, not only are you my Savior, not only do I accept the forgiveness of my sins, but Lord, you are my King, and I give myself over to you. I put myself in your service. You can't enter the kingdom of God and serve the king, Jesus, until you have bent the knee before him and opened your heart to him and given him your life. Friends, we're reaching as many people as we ever had through this this medium. And I wonder how many people 10 years, 20 years from now are going to look back and say, you know what, it was in the crisis. That's when I gave my life to Jesus and that's when everything changed. That's when I began to live the kingdom. Friends, it comes with a prayer. When you you bend the knee, you humble yourself before Jesus, he's right there, he's with you, he knows you, he sees you, and he can hear your prayers. And maybe you want to pray right now. Maybe you want to pray with Jesus. You want to say to him something along these lines, to you, O Lord, I offer my life. To you and to you alone, I give all that I am, all that I have, to you and to your will. From this day forward, I am no longer my own, but I am yours, purchased by your blood. And now, all my blood, all my life, all my power, all of my potential, all of my influence, all of my will. I put it in your service. I want you to use it, Jesus, for your glory, for your kingdom. I'm not my own, but I am yours. Speak your kingdom to me. Make your kingdom in me. I am holy and forever yours, my Lord, my King, my Savior, my Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the First Prez podcast. If you would like more information, you may visit our website at firstprezcos.org.